Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and welcome to this podcast show. My very special guest is David Schechter. David is a physician who works in Culver City and lives in nearby Los Angeles in California. And he is a family physician. He also works in sports medicine, and he's a special interest in mind-body medicine. So, David, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, Where did you grow up, and where did you go to college? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I went to college at Princeton University. Nice. The first university in the U.S., is that right? Uh, I think it might have been third. Harvard, Uh, I think, was first. Oh, excellent, excellent. So... What made you decide on medicine as a career? I was interested in combining my interests in science with actually working with people, and somehow that merger became medicine. Okay, I can relate to that. And then what did you end up in family medicine? I felt like it was a type of medicine that was not purely technological, but that was more about relating to the patient, working with the patient, and potentially their family. And it just appealed to me as uh, the right way to do medicine. Okay, I can certainly relate to that myself. And then you branched off and did some sports medicine. So how did that all fit in to your career? I always liked the musculoskeletal aspects of medical education. And then combining that with, I had played a lot of sports, I had a lot of sports injuries, so I kind of already knew some of those. It became a natural fit. When I did a little bit of teaching after residency, they asked me what I wanted to concentrate in, and I said sports medicine, and that led me to seeking some additional uh, training and some additional certification in that field for family practice, non-surgical doctors. And then you ended up, um, and where the purpose of our talk today is going to be about pain medicine in particular. So do you see this in um, patients with in the family side of things as well as the sports medicine? Yes, it, it, it has definitely come from both sides there. Although my origins in mind-body medicine and pain medicine go back to my experience as a medical student, meeting John Sarno, a professor at NYU, who later became well-known for several books that he had written and for treating tens of thousands of patients with a mental or a psychological or a a brain-body approach. But as I went out into my practice, I realized that this was the most exciting way you could heal people. If you could get them to be interested in this method and if the method was appropriate for them, it was incredibly rewarding and and exciting to make drastic changes with people uh, and kind of work together in a collaborative model. 
with the patient. So what kind of cases are you dealing with now in your practice that involves this mind-body approach with John Sarno's origins? That's a good question. I see a lot of people with back pain that has persisted one, two, three, five or more years. I see people with pelvic pain, nonspecific arm pain, sometimes with neck pain. Basically, physical symptoms for which they have not achieved relief with conventional and alternative approaches to their problem. And in most cases for which they have not been identified as having a very clear structural cause for the pain. Although sometimes they've been given structural explanations, but I'm able to actually make a different diagnosis, which we'll discuss in a moment that I call TMS. So TMS, so that stands for tension myositis syndrome, is that correct? That was the original term that Dr. Sarno used, later tension myoneural syndrome, muscles and nerves. And it basically refers to the idea that there can be physical pain in the body, for example, in your back, your neck, your pelvis, arms, and other areas, physical real pain, but that the ultimate cause, trigger, amplification, reason for its persistence is really more about the mind, the brain, the psyche, and the connection between the mind and the body. So where is this connection in the brain? Well, that brings up the issue, which is, if you have acute pain, it's experienced in the part of the brain called the sensory cortex, sensory meaning sensation. But when that pain has persisted more than three to six months, the part of the brain where the pain is experienced based on relatively recent research, 10, 15 years, using functional MRI imaging, it shows that the pain is really more in the amygdala, the prefrontal cortex, and adjacent areas, which are actually more part of the emotional brain than they are the sensory cortex. So it actually makes Dr. Sarno's theories from years ago have scientific underpinnings, which is that the focusing on the emotional and stress may actually be the best way to undo pain that has persisted in the mind, brain, and in the body for more than, let's say, three to six months. Okay, so let's go back a little bit because I want to clarify something. Say a patient comes in with back pain and they've been given a structural diagnosis like bulging discs or even herniated discs, the classic herniated discs. You know, how do you share with patients that, look, this is likely not the reason for your pain? I have to start like any physician, I'm sure like you do in your office, I have to start with a good history of the pain. And my history is a little broader than what they've typically been asked before, because I'm not just asking about where it hurts and what medications relieve it, but I'm also asking about what's been going on in their life. I'm also asking about what their personality is like. Are they hard on themselves? Are they a people pleaser? Are they highly responsible? We call this the type T personality. Have they had other conditions that might have been caused by stress in the past, such as irritable bowel syndrome, tension headaches, TMJ, temporal mandibular joint pain? And what was their childhood like? Was it particularly traumatic? Was there divorce? Was there abuse? Was there a lot of teenage aunts? So I get to know them a little bit better in a quick fashion in the office and I relate that potentially to their problems. Start with the history, go on to the physical exam. Do they have limitations of motion? If they have limitations, is it because of pain or is it because of fear? 
Because a lot of the people with chronic pain who are not moving are doing so because they've either been told by somebody, don't move that way, meaning don't move the natural, relaxed way, or because they're afraid of moving. And so that's an interesting indicator. I also look for certain marker spots on the back called tender points that can help me to make this diagnosis. And finally, I look at the imaging. I have a lot of experience with imaging. So I look at the imaging myself. And sometimes, indeed, there is a bulging disc, but it's three millimeters and they have a large canal and it's not pushing on anything, i.e. it's irrelevant. And occasionally they do have a structural explanation for the pain. And I go in a slightly different direction if that were the case. But many of the people who have seen me, again, have had all the structural treatments. Some have had surgery. Certainly many of them have had injections, deep injections, epidurals, nerve blocks of that sort. So I'm really trying to find the right diagnosis for that patient. I'm not looking to fit them into a model that I have. This is what we do with it. I'm not looking to convert them to a religious belief or whatever. That can be done by someone in that field. I'm just looking to make a clear diagnosis. And sometimes, actually quite often, the diagnosis is different from what they've heard before. So let's talk briefly about the acute pain. And you mentioned before like trigger points and tender points. So what is your treatment for that? Well, if somebody who's never had a back problem before was working too much moving furniture over the weekend and they had pain, when they saw me in the office on Monday, I might not have to get a great deal into stress and psychological and certainly I don't ask about their childhood and things like that. I might treat it with some anti-inflammatory medication, assuming I examine them and all of that. I might treat them with some anti-inflammatory medication or further from massage, chiropractic care, physical therapy. Frankly, it doesn't really matter what you do with acute back pain because 95% of people get better by six weeks. But it's the people that aren't getting better. In the discussion just before we started, we talked about the fact that there are some physical treatments that can be helpful. That One of them is called trigger points where you inject lidocaine, sometimes other substances into the muscles and fascia that are tense and taut. But let's say they've had those treatments, either by myself or someone else, or I begin to realize that there's other things going on in their life that are irrelevant. They just lost a job, broke up with a relationship, or had other issues in their life, well, that may actually be the reason why their muscles, fascia are so tight and taut. And if the pain is persisting, or if they've come to me, having seen many other doctors, as many of my patients have seen 10, 15, 20, even 30 other practitioners before they've seen me. So in that case, I still look at the imaging. I still, of course, examine them, but they're not going to respond to physical treatments. They've already had all of those things. What they really need is a different, fresh perspective. So you're not going to get a different result doing the same thing over and over again. That's kind of close to what we call the definition of insanity. So you've really got to look at things in a fresh perspective, make a new diagnosis, and begin to direct them in an entirely different direction, which I'm sure you're going to ask me about next. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And how are your patients receiving that information? Some of them come to me already primed or open to this approach that I use, the TMS approach, because they may have found me via my website, read one of the books out there, including my own, or heard about it from a friend who had a successful outcome. When you're talking about the group of people that haven't been primed to be prepared for this diagnosis, you have to be a little bit more gentle and a little bit more 
educational on a basic level, which is that your pain is real. But let's really look at why it's there for so long and why these other 10 or 15 practitioners haven't been able to help you. And I explain a little bit about that. And then just say, well, would you be open to the idea of looking at this in a different way where we spend a little bit more time in your mind and brain and we actually don't focus on your body anymore, which I know you've had plenty of focus on already. And I sense to see whether they're open. Now, some people are immediately open to that. Others are curious and willing to read something or look at a podcast I've been on or watch a video that I have links to show them. And other people may not be ready at that point, but they may be ready in the future. You know, an interesting story I could relate to you is that some of the people I see in the office for this PMS diagnosis have been given a book on the subject by a friend or a relative, perhaps six months or a year before. They look at it quickly and they say to themselves, this is not me, I just put it on their shelf. They don't look at the book for six months, a year even. Then they pick up the book on a weekend and they say, oh my gosh, this is totally me. This is 100% me. I've got to figure out who I can see to deal with this. Monday morning, they're calling my office frantic. A year after they were originally given the book, I've got to get and see Dr. Schechter as soon as possible because I'm convinced I have this problem and I need relief. So it points out that the patient has to be ready to embark upon this healing path. And the physician plays a role of guiding them along that path and I can give you many more details of that guidance, but ultimately the patient has to be in that position of readiness. So some are, some are close, and some are not. And I kind of accept that because if somebody wants to do something else first, I recommend they do it. Okay, thank you. That was very clear. Very clear understanding of the reality of what we're doing on a daily basis when different types of people come to our offices. So say they're now open to this, approach mind-body and you know how the brain is literally running a different game of you know the emotional center is running the show so how do you take patients forward from there well the first process is kind of making that diagnosis in the office uh, that history that physical that exam looking at the imaging and really looking them in the eye and saying you've got this condition tms and let's here's what we do next and so we talk about what steps they need to take to accept the diagnosis, both intellectually and emotionally, because there's different levels of accepting this diagnosis. And then we talk about techniques that involve focusing away from the physical and more on the mind, brain, psychological end of things. We talk about a self-talk system where they start repeating to themselves six to 10 times an hour, a phrase that leads their mind and brain to start believing that they can get better rather than being permanently stuck in this pain cycle. And we talk about journaling, which is one of the things that I think is the, one of the most effective tools and one which I hope that not only pain specialists and mind-body specialists, but eventually primary care doctors all over the US, Canada and everywhere else will have their patients do because it's one of the most effective techniques for managing pain, stress, and other issues, and it's very cost-effective as well as time-effective. Journaling, writing down your feelings, writing about your emotions, writing what's bothering you, writing what you're grateful about. Just doing the writing for 10 or 15 minutes a night can be an extremely effective way to undo this cycle of pain that's stuck inside of you. And so those are some of the techniques we use, and you know, I'll go into more depth on some other things as well. 
Okay, so just into the journaling just for a moment. The Is that recommended to be done every night? None of us is perfect. I tell them shoot for seven nights a week, but if you get six, that's great. And even five is fine. Some of the patients I see are kind of a little bit too hard on themselves to begin with. That's one of the characteristics of the type T personality. So I don't want to put more pressure on them and make them do something seven days a week. But, you know, we shoot for five or six. And even if you do it three or four, you get a tremendous benefit from doing this. I mean, it's a form of self-psychotherapy where you don't have to talk to somebody else initially. You write down your feelings. By putting them on paper, you have a distance from them where you can look at them a little more objectively, where you can face some of your worst fears and realize it's something you can deal with or overcome. If necessary, if it's really nasty stuff, you can rip that paper out of the journal, tear it up and throw it away. We call that negative writing. You know, I prefer the expressive writing where you keep it in the workbook or the journal. Um, there's a book I wrote called The Mind-Body Workbook where people write directly in that notebook. And so I like that. But if there's something you write that you don't want anybody to see, rip it up and after you've written it, tear it up, burn it, do whatever you want with it. The process of writing is what has been shown in multiple multiple research studies over the year to be effective, not only for pain, but for stress, for anxiety, for depression, for even some of the autoimmune diseases seem to improve somewhat uh, with both the combination of conventional care and uh, emotionally expressive uh, writing. So it's one of the techniques we use, and it's one of the techniques that helps people's brains to go through this positive transformation the term is used neuroplasticity a lot now. The idea that the nervous system, specifically the brain, can rewire in response to new stimuli, in response to new thoughts, new beliefs. And I think that's one of the reasons why this system is successful is that we take a patient who's stuck in a chronic pain cycle and we give them the opportunity to go through this healthy neuroplasticity process in the brain. But, you know, that will take further research, so to speak, to pin that down. Thank you so much for the explicit explanation of journaling and, and what it does and, you know, what the, what the patient needs to do on a regular basis to achieve that change in the limbic system for pain reduction. So you said there's a few other techniques, and what are the other techniques that you... Well, I, yeah, my mentor, John Sterner, used to say that education is the penicillin for this treatment. So I emphasize learning... And I give people a resource guide, which includes uh, books on this subject, of which they can pick one or more of them to read, including my own. I also give them a list of podcasts that are, I link to on my website and uh, videos that I've done and videos that other doctors have done. Because the more good information you're putting in your mind and brain, the more you can push out the fear, worry, anxiety, some of which is perpetuated by the media, some of which is exacerbated by both conventional alternative practitioners who kind of seem to want you to come back a lot. Maybe that's more true in the U.S. than Canada. I don't know. But, you know, getting you to become independent means having you think differently, means having different information, uh, different knowledge base. So we emphasize a lot of an educational program. When people leave my office, they're kind of given this sort of homework packet and so it's not just about me fixing them with my hands or with my needles or with my medication. It's really about, here's the process by which you can fix yourself and I'll be there to help you and guide you along the way. So there's the educational piece. There's the journaling piece. We really discuss whether or not they need more evidence 
that this is in fact a diagnosis. And if, if that's the case, some people haven't had an MRI scan, we might do that. Some people might not have had an x-ray of a certain area, we might do that. And so we do whatever it takes to get the patient to be comfortable to accept a different diagnosis, a different way of approaching the problem. Going back to the sports medicine area, we like people to get more physically active. So someone who's been inactive for three years, I'm not gonna send them right out on a, a hike or a mountain climb, but I'm gonna have them start walking. I might have them swim a little bit if that's something that they're good at. So getting the body moving reinforces the idea for the nervous system that you're not sick, you're just getting better and you're in the process of healing. So physical activity can be very important. And I also kind of in the, in the process of discussing these stages of healing, which I call the 12 stages of healing, I mentioned some of the roadblocks that may come up, for example, doubt. So even after you're getting better with this diagnosis and this approach, doubt can creep in trying to draw you back to the old ways of dealing with things. So I talk about doubt and I talk about the ups and downs of improving. When you're changing something as complicated as the human brain, the most complicated organ in the body, and some say the most complicated structure we know of in the universe at this point, it's not going to happen overnight for most people. And it's going to have its ups and downs. You might have three good days and you might have a bad day. You explain to patients that that's a normal part of the process from healing from chronic physical symptoms. And so there's a number of these sort of educational tips and steps and processes that we do. And uh, you know, there's usually a follow-up visit in about three or four weeks to see somebody back and see how far along they've gotten and then to guide them the rest of the way. And then unfortunately in Los Angeles and uh, in other parts of the country, uh, not so much in Canada yet, but I have a resource uh, referrals and psychotherapists who specialize in this area, some of whom will also work by a teleconference and Skype and things like that. And so for some of the people whose the journaling has brought up deeper issues, we recommend the psychotherapy piece, but it's not for everybody. For a lot of people, the home program and the education and the journaling, a couple follow-ups with the doctor, either face-to-face -face or via uh, Skype, it can be all that they need. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for the, you know, the extensive nature of, of all these different steps. What kind of results are you actually seeing? So you've got 100 patients come in, they fit the bill of um, TMS. And yeah, how much of the 100 patients are you seeing get better? Now, any number I give you, you're going to see, how did I get that number? I published a study about 10 years ago where we actually looked at 51 patients that I had seen over the course of a few years, and we followed them up at least six months after the end of their treatment. And so the results were somewhere between 60 and 75% got dramatically better, and some got somewhat better, and some didn't respond, sometimes because they didn't, they didn't really accept the diagnosis completely. I would say that I get about three quarters results. Um, considering that these are some of the most complicated patients you could deal with, I think those results are very good. Of course, as a physician and a perfectionist myself, I'd love to have 100% results and you know, maybe I'll continue to get better at explaining this and more and more materials will be out there to be easier. But uh, the fact is that, you know, people have to go through a process here and not everybody is able to do it. Not everybody is ready to do it. So it's not a finger snap type of process. Indeed. So what is the biggest challenge you're facing right now with this chronic pain epidemic that's upon us? I think the, the biggest challenge I face is trying to get more physicians to be thinking the way you and I do in terms of broadening our perspectives on how we can heal people. 
And certainly if there are people come to me already on the opioids, on the, the strong painkillers, that presents a challenge to getting people to taper off of those and, and try to live life without that type of a medical uh, stupor or coverage. And, um, you know, the, just the ongoing challenge of getting people to look at themselves in a way that for some is comfortable and for some it requires a little more effort or challenge to look at yourself and, and say that although you're not in any way being blamed for your problem, you have to kind of look inside to get better. And that can be sometimes hard for people. So that's a challenge of sorts. Exactly. And is there anything that you would like to share that we haven't quite covered in this short interview? No, I would just encourage people who are listening, who are dealing with chronic pain, who have tried a lot of the conventional alternative, physical and structural systems and methods to at least look into this, look, look online or look at one of the books that are available and open your mind to the idea that your mind and brain may have more control and more ability to get yourself out of this stuck cycle that you're in than you perhaps even realize. And uh, you mentioned your book. What's the name of your book? Think Away Your Pain. And the other one is called the Mind-Body Workbook, which is more of the journaling, uh, structured journaling book. They're both available on Amazon and some of the usual places. Okay. And what's your website there, David? Mindbodymedicine.com. Mindbodymedicine.com. Well, you got the title there for .com. I'm impressed. Well done. I started early. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, I really thank you for your time and sharing your amazing knowledge and all that you do down there in LA. And uh, thank you for coming on the show today. You're welcome. I enjoyed speaking with you.